so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. When Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. He walked in the ways of all the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord had made with him, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. This is the word of God. Well, uh, thank you, Jeanette, for reading this morning. Uh, it was both uh, perhaps not uplifting a, a, a reading, as some have had the opportunity to do, and had a bunch of really difficult names in there. So I want to thank you uh, for reading that the, this morning. Uh, we, 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 we gave it to our best uh, to read um, this morning. So uh, thank you for doing that this morning. But, but this morning's reading, it's kind of we're entering into some dark days. And so many of us, most of us, will experience some kind of dark days in our life. Uh, some days where all hope seems lost. Whether that's consequences of our own behavior or the actions of others, uh, often you will, you'll see in kind of Christian spiritual literature this idea of the dark night of the soul, this idea where it's not just a, a difficult circumstance, it's not just bad things happening, but, but it's just really a dark episode period in our life. And, and so often we, exp- not often thankfully, sometimes we experience uh, moments like that in life, it's, it's a time where, where God seems absent from our story. And so this reading that Jeanette read for us this morning, this, this, um, this moment in Judah's history is a, a time where Judah entered into a season of dark days. There have been good kings and some not so good kings before this point, and there were good kings after this point, but, but for over a century after this moment, Judah just gets in this cycle of, of dark days and the good kings seem like a blip on the radar compared to the darkness that is surrounding Judah. And so uh, I'm not going to reread all of what um, <clears throat> uh, Jeanette read for us this morning because I won't uh, do as good a job as she did with the, with the big names, but, but I just want to have a little side note to start off with. And, and so we're told that Jehoshaphat, um, who was a good king, we explored him last week, but He'd set up his sons for success. He had uh, given them many riches and he'd spread them out around the kingdom and put them all over different cities. Uh, he tried to avoid the conflict that normally happens when one king dies and the next generation fight over who gets to sit on the throne. He, he tried to establish them. He'd set a pattern of faithfulness for them and so just a little side note this morning, of Jehoshaphat had done all he could to set up the generations following him 
to be faithful to the Lord and for things to go well. And as Jeanette read, as soon as he was secure on the throne, his son, Jehoram, killed all his brothers and turned away from the Lord and led Judah in doing so. And so a side note this morning on Father's Day uh, and for the mothers, sometimes we have children and we just think, why are they behaving that way? Did I not set them up to live a good life? To, to be faithful to the Lord. And, and the thing is, sometimes, often, you know, it's, it's just not your fault. We can be faithful in our role as parents. None of us are perfect. But, but this, is, this, is, this is not the whole point of the, the message this morning. This is just a side note. But, but sometimes, often, it's just not your fault. And I thank God for this example. I, though I pray for my own children, we're not at that stage yet where where they're making their own kind of big picture life choices and I'm biting my nails and thinking, oh my goodness. But our calling as parents is to do our best. But they'll make their own choices. And we hope that none of our children decide to kill all their, their siblings and turn a kingdom away from God. We can pray for that, but we can't control that once we're gone. And, and so Jehoram did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The summaries that we get of the kings uh, at the start of their reign is, is usually he did, they, did, did, they did well in the eyes of the Lord, they were faithful in the eyes of the Lord, or they did evil. And so Jeho- Jehoram falls into the evil category and he's not the first, but as I said, he triggers this, this series of dark days for Judah. He kills his brothers without any real hint in the story that they were contending for the throne. Jehoshaphat had given them cities to look after. He'd given them riches. There was, there was little need for them to contend for the throne. And so there's not a lot of evidence in that story as we read it in Chronicles, but he killed his brothers. He turned the kingdom away from God. And, and this, is, this is jarring because we've just finished the, Jehoshaphat and, and we finished with his reign and, and Israel's in a good place and we've had that victorious, completely God-led uh, victory over the enemies that were surrounding Judah. And you would think that, that the son of Jehoshaphat would lead the kingdom in faithfulness to God, but no, he, he as soon as has the opportunity... Jehoram followed the ways of the kings of Israel. And so uh, you, a reminder that we've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, that, that God's people have split into two kingdoms and, and the northern kingdom uh, set up idols, turned away from God completely and wholeheartedly, though God still sent them prophets. And, and so saying they followed the ways of the kings of Israel was, was not a good thing in this season. And it says because he married one of Ahab, who was the the most wicked king of Israel, married one of his daughters. And so in a sense, the the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel has polluted the, the southern kingdom's king. 
Uh, we get a bit of a summary, and I'm not, I've not put this one on the screen, but we get a bit of a summary of what, what people thought of Jehoram as a king in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 21, verse 20, uh, where it says, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Oh, let's try and live a life that when we pass away, it's not in the Yas Tribune that we passed away to no one's regret. But that gives us a bit of a sense of <laughs> a bit of a sense of, of what kind of person Jehoram was. But the consequences of his behavior as king triggered, led to this this over a century in Judah's history where God seemed either absent from the story at times or working against his people. These were dark days for Judah. But what I want to grab from that, and I, and I, and I was wrestling with these kind of passages because there's this big chunk from woohoo Jehoshaphat and then over a century, about 150 years later, the king that we're going to look at next week, Hezekiah, who's another woohoo king, like he's faithful to God. And I was like, ugh. Is it going to be obvious if I just completely skip this bit in the middle and everything's happy and fun? I was wrestling uh, with what to do with that and as I was reading through, it was this verse that stood out to me. 2 Chronicles 21.7 says, despite all of this, it says what we've talked about already, nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David, that's That's who Jehoram is a part of. This wicked king who turned Judah completely away from God is part of the house of David. Because of the covenant of the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. And so I just want to grab the first word of that verse, nevertheless. Um, I've called this message, the Lord is faithful, but if I was naming it today, I'd call it nevertheless. And so I want you to turn to someone next to you and, t- and just say to them, nevertheless. <laughs> All right, and turn to the other side now. If you turn to your second choice uh, and say, nevertheless. So the key word today is Nevertheless. Nevertheless, God is faithful, even when we are not. When all seems lost, nevertheless, God is faithful. When it seems there is no hope, nevertheless, God is faithful. When we're wallowing in the consequences of our own sin, and we're in darkness that is all of our own doing, when we are unfaithful, nevertheless, God is faithful. Faithful. When we're wallowing in the darkness that's initiated by the actions of others who aren't faithful to us, who, who've either rejected us or harmed us or hurt us. When others aren't faithful towards us, nevertheless, God remains faithful. When God seems absent from the story, nevertheless, He is not. He is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. He's never absent from the story. 
And so the, the next several chapters of 2 Chronicles chronicles this dark story for Judah. But woven, woven through it is the story of nevertheless. And so this morning I just want to grab three stories from these next chapters. We're going to skip through and then next week we get to get back to woohoo, Hezekiah and faithfulness. But through these chapters, I'm just going to grab three stories to, to make three points about the nevertheless faithfulness of God. Three truths, three moments that, that illustrate to us that when God seems absent from the story, He's not. And so the first thing about being in dark days, the first thing to remember for us from these stories is that, that God never leaves us without hope. When all hope seems lost, when, when everything seems like it's swept away and all is darkness, we can trust that God never leaves us without hope. In 2 Chronicles 22, 10-12, it says that when Athala, the mother of Isaiah, saw that her son was dead, so we're going to need some context for that. As, as, a, as ha, um, I'm bumbling it up, sorry. Jeanette, I'll have to get you up to uh, reread these for us. When Ahaziah, who was the king, this is a few chapters later, he was the king and, and part of judge, God's judgment on his wickedness, um, he was killed. And so when his mother saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. And so she was a woman from Israel who'd married one of the kings of Judah. Her son was on the throne. She was happy about that. But when her son died, she was like, okay, here's Israel's moment. We're going to wipe out all of the kings of Judah. All these descendants of David are going to die. But the Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom, because Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, and wife of the priest Jehoiada, I should have practiced these names, was Ahaziah's sister. She, did, she hid the child from Athaliah, so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. Okay, tongue twister. But what's happening in this story is that the, queen, the king's mother learns her son is dead and decides to wipe out the entire royal family to end the promise of God. But the king had a sister who was married to a priest, a man faithful to God. And so she had access to the royal family, but she was part of a faithful family. And so she took this baby and this baby's nurse, because royal people can't feed their own children, but and hid them in, the, in a bedroom in the household of the priest. When this wicked woman, Athaliah, tried to kill off all hope for the line of David, God had a faithful person there to rescue hope. And so if we flip over the chapter, the next three verses, and this is as far as we'll go with this story, but in the seventh year of uh, Jehoiada, 
sorry, in the seventh year, so the seventh year after this happened, Jehoiada, the priest, showed his strength. He made a covenant with the commanders and the units of a hundred, Azariah, son of Jehoram, Ishmael, son of Jehoiada, and a lot of names, and we're going to skip through to, they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of the Israelite families from all the towns. When they came to Jerusalem, the whole assembly made a covenant with the king, that's this baby who's now seven years old at the temple of God. Jehoiada said to them, the king's son shall reign as the Lord promised concerning the descendants of David. And so when all hope seemed lost, when this wicked woman sought to destroy the promises of God, God preserved hope in the form of a baby. How unlike God to preserve the hope of the world in the form of a baby. And a woman who was married to a priest. God was working through that situation that when all hope seemed lost, when all had presumed from what they could see that the line of David had been wiped out when when the promise of God seemed to have come to naught, God preserved hope. God had never left Judah without hope. There's this whole motif that that goes through through the whole Old Testament when be it enemies attacking God's people or be it the judgment of God under the Old Covenant, there's this whole motif and, and theologians call it God preserves a remnant. It's the remnant theology. We see it in Noah's Ark where, where God's judgment becomes upon the earth, but, but God doesn't leave humanity without hope. He preserves hope in the form of Noah and his family on the ark. And we see it here in this story where, where the promise of God seems to be wiped out, but God preserves hope in the form of a baby. God's faithful to his promise that there will never not be a descendant of David upon the throne of Judah. As we go on a few centuries from this moment, it seems again that that's completely wiped out, but but the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus, who is known as the son of David, who rules for all eternity, not just over Judah, but over all the universe. God always preserves a remnant. And so in our lives, in our dark days, when all hope seems lost, all hope is never lost in God. And so we can look, we can trust in that truth. When everything is being swept away, we can look and search for the hope that God is preserving. What hope is God preserving? What remnant of his promises is God preserving in our lives that new hope might blossom forth from later. There's a prophecy and it's ultimately about Jesus being the ultimate fulfillment of the, of the, the, the promise that a son of David will sit upon the throne. But, but David's father was named Jesse and so there's this prophecy in the scriptures that says, from the stump of Jesse, so a tree that's been cut down, a new shoot will burst forth, that even if the tree has been chopped down, God is preserving hope. His promises will endure. 
When all hope seems lost in our darkest days, nevertheless, God is faithful. In Romans 15.13 it says this. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul writing to the church and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the midst of you're experiencing some darkness in your life, you're experiencing a difficult day in your life at the moment, that's my prayer for you that may you know that God never leaves you without hope. And may you know that God is the God of not just a little bit of hope, but of all hope. And so my prayer this morning for you, for all of us, is that we would overflow with hope even in the midst of our darkest days. When we can't see it with our eyes, to trust that God's, God's rescued a baby of hope somewhere. That somewhere, even when we don't see it, God's holding the seed for his promises to be fulfilled in our lives, that there's always reason for hope. So nevertheless, God never leaves us without hope. And the next thing I want to share this morning from these dark day stories is that God never stops speaking. He never leaves us without hope and he also never stops speaking to us. And I don't want to say even in our... uh, darkest days, I want to say especially in our darkest days, in our dark moments, in the difficult times in life, God never stops speaking. In 2 Chronicles, sorry, that should be 24, not 21.17. In 2 Chronicles 24.17, we read this other story, and sorry, I'm not sorry, but there are lots of longer readings this morning. But it says, after the death of Jehoiada, who was the priest whose wife rescued the baby, who became the king, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king and he listened to them. The moment that priest died, it says this of Joash, the king, who was the baby. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols, Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem, although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him. And so the moment this priesthood, who'd been part of preserving the hope of Judah through the baby Joash, the moment he dies, Joash, we're done with that God thing. We're done with faithfulness. We're shutting the doors of the temple. We're worshipping all these pagan gods. And so God is not too pleased about that, to put it mildly. He's, his anger comes against them. And this is where we do need to remember that we live under a different covenant to this old, these Old Testament stories. God's anger against our sin has been consumed in the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. Of course, sin doesn't please him under this covenant. But his wrath against our sin has been consumed in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But God's not happy with his people, but he never stops speaking to them. Although the Lord, or we could say nevertheless, God was not happy with Judah, but nevertheless, the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him. 
And though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah. This was one of the prophets that God raised up. The son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's command? You will not prosper because you have not, sorry, because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. And so life is better when we're faithful to God. But He is faithful even when we aren't. Though he was angry with Judah, he didn't abandon them completely. He never stopped speaking. He never stopped sending prophets. And uh, we're not going to go to this part of the passage, but the story doesn't end well for Zechariah. They kill him on the footsteps of the temple of God. But God, even though the prophets were killed, and you don't want to be an Old Testament prophet when there's a bad king uh, who's unfaithful to God, it doesn't end well for you. But nevertheless, God never stopped speaking. He never stopped sending prophets in the hope that his people would turn back to him. God never stops speaking, never stops knocking, never stops calling us back to him. There's this, and it's, it's a prophet who mostly spoke to um, Israel, the prophet Elijah. And he's having a dark season. He prays to God, I wish that you would just kill me. And God feeds him. He falls asleep, has a nap, feels a bit better, goes up on the mountainside. And it's this story that many of us would have he- heard. And, and, and it says there was an earthquake on the mountain. But God wasn't in the earthquake. Elijah was a man who was used to experiencing God speaking in power. There was a rushing wind on the mountain, but, but God was not in the rushing wind. There was fire upon the mountain, but, but God wasn't speaking through the fire. And, and then it says there was the sound of a still small voice in most of our English translations. Um, some people would say the Hebrew words mean whisper. Or some would say they mean... Silence, nothing, or barely audible. And so this is a moment where Elijah, who was used to God speaking loudly and powerfully and and, and working through acts of power, where he learned to lean in to God's voice. In his dark days, in his dark moments, to, to learn that nevertheless, God is still speaking It's about learning to lean in to listen. Because sometimes God will speak through these big, powerful moments where there's no denying that it's God who's speaking. And other times he'll speak through a whisper that's almost imperceptible, inaudible, that we need to lean into to hear what he's saying. But if we believe the truth that that God never stops speaking, even in our darkest days, or especially in our darkest days, 
then we can learn to never stop listening. To, to lean in, to, to be like Elijah and, and lean into the earthquake and go, no, that's powerful and scary, but that's not my father's voice. To, to lean into the fire, but not too closely because you'll burn your ear. But go, no, no, that's not God either and go, actually in this, this peacefulness, in the midst of all of this chaos and darkness and my wanting to die. It's just the sound of almost silence that God's speaking through. But if we believe that, well, God's abandoned us, God stopped speaking, then, then we won't lean into that and hear what he's got to say. Sometimes in dark days it's about, you know, we might have a reading plan and we might be the kind of person who just consumes the Bible, and I don't mean that in a negative consumeristic sense, but just chapter after chapter. And, and in dark days, it might be just about finding that one verse to meditate on day after day after day to give us the strength. Because the truth is that God never stops speaking. So we can keep looking. If we're not hearing Him, we can keep looking for what are you saying God and how are you saying it in one of the hardest moments of my life um, which I must confess wasn't you know I haven't been through dark days or particularly hard days compared to to many people but but it was just John 15 chapter 5 just that verse over and over again see I'm usually the kind of person that reads a lot of Bible but but in that moment it was just the whisper of Remain in me and you'll be fruitful. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just that whisper. God never stops speaking. It's about leaning in to discover how and what he's saying. In our darkest days, no matter what has led us to that point, nevertheless, God never stops speaking. And God never stops working. When God seems absent from the story, when when God seems like he's abandoned us, we can trust this truth as well, that God has not left your story, that God has not stopped working in your life, that God never stops working. Again, another whole bunch of this, this scripture, but jumping forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and this is just before we're going to tip our toe in the waters of the woohoo moment of Hezekiah to see where this kind of cycle of the story ends up. But, but this is just before Hezekiah and it says, uh, in his time of trouble, King Ahaz, this is many, several generations later, but King Ahaz was not a good king. Became even more unfaithful to the Lord in his time of trouble. So he didn't believe that, that in his dark days, God never leaves us without hope. He didn't believe that in his dark days, his days of trouble, that, that God never stops um, speaking. And so in his dark days, he became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him for he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, 
<coughs> pardon me, I will sacrifice to them so they will help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all Israel. And so we're still talking the kingdom of Judah here. Sometimes in Chronicles those terms are interchanged because they're all Israelites. Ahaz had gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. In every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to the other gods and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. And so this is as dark as it gets in this part of the story. This is the moment where essentially the the temple building is still standing, but everything inside it's been ripped to shreds and cut up. The temple building is still standing there on the mountain and and there's still some faithful people in Judah and Jerusalem who who see God as the the one to trust in, but, but mostly worship of God is a forgotten thing under King Ahaz. And you think all hope is lost, but you turn the page to chapter 29, verses 1 to 3. And after Ahaz dies, it says this, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 39 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And so with Hezekiah, was so good, that he kind of skips all his actual fathers and grandfathers and just goes, his father David, Let, let's rewind the tape back. To there, and that's essentially what Hezekiah did. In the midst of all this darkness, he rewound the tape back to David and faithfulness. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. This was the son of Ahaz. This was the one who had the worst possible example of a father. On Father's Day, we're grateful that Most of us hopefully have better examples and we all have a great example in God our Father. But but Hezekiah had the worst possible example as a father. But in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. In 2 Kings 18, um, and so the story, the, the, the books of Kings overlap with this story. In 2 Kings 18, verses 5 and 7, it said, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord, sorry, he kept the commands the Lord had given, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria who had um, made Judah their subject, and he did not serve him. And so in a moment, we go from the darkest day for Judah to their brightest day, to the king who was so faithful that in God's word it says there was no one like him before him or after him. Of course, the writer of Chronicles hadn't met Jesus yet. And so... If you're in the midst of a dark day that, that seems like all hope is lost, that seems like God has stopped speaking, that, that seems like God has stopped working, I want you to cling to hope because your redemption could be just around the corner. It could be just a moment away. It could be just the death of one Ahaz, and I'm speaking metaphorically, the death of one Ahaz 
could give birth to all the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Because God never gives up. God's never, God never stops working. See, Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz. But he was also the son of someone else. We're given, not often, but sometimes the name of, of mothers. And here we're given the name of Hezekiah's mother. It was Abijah. She was the daughter of Zechariah. Whose son was Zechariah? Zechariah was the son of Jehoiada, the priest who put Joash on the throne. Jehoiada was the, the wife of Jehoiada, the woman who had rescued Joash from being destroyed with all of David's other descendants several generations earlier. And so while our gaze is fixed on the kings of Judah, and that's the story that Chronicles follows, and we're looking at that, and our eyes are covered. Sorry, I covered my microphone. Our eyes are covered, and we're like, oh, this story couldn't get any worse. And this is, you know, we said jokingly at the start of this series that I was tempted to call it the Game of Thrones, um, which is a story of like all this conflict and violence of over who gets to sit on the throne. This is the most Game of Thrones moment of the kings of Judah. And so if we look at this story of the kings, it it, it seems that God's given up. It seems he stopped speaking if we're just looking at the kings. It seems like all hope is lost. but, But if we just look at that story and think God has stopped working, we've been looking in the wrong place. Because Jehosheba rescued Joash. Her husband put him on the throne. Their son was a prophet to the people of Judah, seeking to call Judah back to faithfulness to God. They killed Zechariah, but his daughter was married one of. We've got to lose our concept of one person, one wife, one man, one wife. His daughter was one of the wives of King Ahaz. And they had a son named Hezekiah, who the scripture says there was no one like him before or after in faithfulness to God. And so while we've been looking over here thinking, what is happening? Where's God's faithfulness? Where is God's voice? Where is God's working in the lives of his people? God's been working, but we've been looking in the wrong place. It's over here. Not with Joash and Jehoram and Ahaz, but with Jehosheba and Jehoiada and Zechariah and Abijah and Hezekiah. See, it might feel like God has stopped working in our life. It might feel like that God is absent from our story at times. It certainly felt like that in times of my life. And and as I said, I've not experienced difficulties that I know many others have in this room. I've not experienced the level of heartache that I know others have had to endure who are in this room. 
it might seem like God's stopped working and that he's left our story. But we can trust this truth, that God never stops working. If we can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there, it just means we're looking in the wrong place. It might be looking different in this season to what it did last season. It might be that God has been working so strongly, just off to the left of stage, not through the royal family, but just off to the left of stage, just a couple steps away, and just in a moment, that's about to step into center stage. It might just be that your redemption and restoration are just around the corner. It might just be that we've been looking at the kings of Judah and, and this story goes on for century and century and, and Judah ultimately, because of their unfaithfulness, are exiled to Babylon and then Persia conquers Babylon and so they're under a Persian king. But it's that Persian king that sends them back to Jerusalem. And it's in that renewed kingdom, even though Rome sweeps through and conquers them and it still doesn't seem like it's quite there. When we're looking at the world events and all hope seems lost, God's bringing redemption in a stable in Bethlehem. God never stops working in your life. And I don't say this is a criticism or a judgment and you're you're wrong because you're looking in the wrong place, but, but God never stops working. If you can't see it, we're just looking in the wrong place. And maybe we won't be able to see it until it steps into center stage, just like Hezekiah in the first day, sorry, in the first month of his first year, opened the doors of the temple. Just like Jesus wasn't born into the throne room, was born in this backwater town, and there was no room for him in the inn, and, and 30 years of his 33-year life were mostly uneventful. He burst onto the scene and, and heals a whole bunch of people, says some amazing things and causes a bit of a stir, but then they kill him. And for three days, it seems like all hope is lost, that God has been somehow defeated, that this story is over. But as Daniel likes to remind me, Sunday is coming. And then the greatest victory is birthed out of the darkest moment. Nevertheless, when all hope seems lost, nevertheless, God never leaves us without hope. When God seems like he's gone silent, nevertheless, he never stops speaking. When it seems like he's left your story, nevertheless, God never stops working for you, even when we don't see it. I'd love if you stood with me this morning as I prayed to close and we worship together and then we do need to release our children shortly, but um, I'd love to invite you for some prayer of your, especially for anything, if you need healing, if you need 
um, just a touch of God in your life, but especially if you're in a moment where you need to not just know in your head, but in your heart, the nevertheless of God. Mm, let's pray. Mm. Almighty God, in the midst of our dark days, in the midst of this moment, I pray, may we see the light of your hope. May we see that seed of hope that you're preserving. May we know that even when things seem like they're hanging by a thread, even if it's just a thread, you won't let that thread break. May we hear your voice. May we learn and know where to lean our ear into. May we learn to listen and hold to the truth that you never stop speaking. And may we know that if we're just to look in the right place, or maybe we can't see it in this moment, but may we know in the depths of our heart that even when it seems like you've left the story, you're working mightily on our behalf. May this all be in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.